Welcome to Currents, your leading global voice of maternal feminism. As maternal feminists, we are inviting you to join us, using our voices in the public square for the things that deeply matter, our faith, our families, and our maternal identities. The Currents podcast aims to gather women who are deliberate thinkers and women who are prepared to engage as powerful forces for good in our homes, our communities, and our world. Hello, ladies. Thank you for joining us again on Currents, the podcast of Big Ocean Women. We are so excited today to have our first roundtable questionnaire. We are covering We Believe in God and Our Women of Faith. Um, today we have with us Carolina Allen, Ann Takasaki, Dana Robb, Grace Garn, Lisa Bjorn, um, and I am Kim Landine, one of your hosts. All of these women have been part of Big Ocean for a long time. Look for their bios in the show notes, and we are so excited um, to get started. So the format of this is we have, over the last couple of weeks, been asking our community for questions on faith. And um, as you know, if you've been listening to Big Ocean, the Currents podcast, we've been covering this tenant all month long, having really good conversations about how to apply faith in your life and how it, some of the struggles that we're seeing globally on the topic of faith. And so I'm, I am personally really excited. This is a topic that I deeply believe in, as you know, if you've been listening um, and I know the women on this call and on this meeting, and they are truly women of faith who have made great sacrifices in the name of faith and who truly live their faith day to day. So I believe that we're going to get really good insight and I'm excited. So women, um, what we're going to do is we're going to get started with a question. Um, and then I'm just going to kind of moderate, ask questions, feel free to raise your hand, make comments. Let's just make sure we're not talking over each other for the sake of the conversation. And then listeners, if you have any follow-up questions, please um, share with us and we will continue to um, follow up with these questions because faith really is truly the foundation of Big Ocean. Let's go ahead and get started. So Carol, um, I think you talked about answering this question first, and then we'll kind of just jump off of this in a natural way. One of the very first questions we got, and this was from Trisha, and she asks, how do you as a family incorporate God in your everyday life? That's a great question. Um, I'm grateful for Trisha um, asking it. I think as moms, one of as moms of faith, rather, I think that it's, it's one of our deepest desires that we can translate our value system to our children so that they can receive the same sorts of blessings and, um, and, and just that joyful connection to the, our higher power to God. And so I think, um, the way to do that with children is that you, you know, understand and know first clearly you can't teach something that you don't know you can't really model something that you don't quite believe in they children really can understand and and get a sense for um discrepancies you know between um your ideas what you believe in than what you do so they can really they're they're very honest of heart and so they know if, if anything's done um, insincerely. So I think that that personal quest has to be there first, but once you do, um, have faith and, and, and you believe in God, then I think that it's, it, it flows very naturally from your lifestyle, from the things that you do every day, from 
praying, praying as a family to reading your, you know, scriptural texts as a family to implementing the things that you are reading and the impressions that you're getting. Um, it's, it's, you know, kind of flows rather effortlessly. Um, I think that making, pointing things out to children as you're living it. Um, I often talk about miracles to my children and um, I do a lot of that in the car actually, because we're traveling to and from places oftentimes together in the car. And it really strikes up um, some faith-based conversations. Um, and I think that having just open dialogue with children from a very young age and, you know, they have, they're filled with questions. They always want to know um, the answers to questions. And um, I have done a lot of things wrong in parenting. I mean, I'm not a perfect parent by any stretch of the imagination, but um, one thing that I do appreciate, it was recently shared with me by my oldest daughter um, at a baby shower as we were giving the gifts, you know, they asked, well, what did you get from your own mother or what would you like to pass on if you are a current mother? Anyway, my daughter, Olivia said, well, my mom's always spoken truth to me. She's always told me the truth. And, um, and that's very true from my really early age. I just, I, I decided I never want to lie to my kids. Like no matter how hard it is, I just don't ever want to do that. So every conversation I have with my kids is very honest. I try to be very honest. If I don't know something, I say, I don't know. Like, let's pray about it and try to discover this together. Um, but every time that I'm witnessing a miracle or God's hand in my life in, in a beautiful way, I always am talking to my kids about it. So I think that that's a way to, you know, it'll translate. They'll, they'll get it eventually. So Carol, I love that you mentioned sharing stories with your kids. That's something that stands out to me. I, I try to um, share stories that I hear of others living their faith and the, the benefits, blessings, whatever you want to call it, of, of living that faith to my kids so that they are seeing other people's stories and experiences. Um, I think that's really valuable. As a very, very young mom, the three things that I wanted to impart upon my kids was a love for God a love for people and the love for this world. I decided if they understood and loved those three things and anything else could come naturally after that point. My oldest daughter specifically has really struggled with faith traditions for whatever reason, from a very young age. A good example is the act of prayer um, seems very not natural to her. Um, she almost fights back against a ritualistic or written scripted prayer like our family usually engages in. And what's been interesting to me is I've tried to teach her how to connect with divinity in a way that um, is not that traditional path that I would normally teach. And one of the ways that I've taught her is being in the wilderness. Um, we live in Alaska. We walk among trees. We're on the beach very frequently. And it's been very interesting to me as I talk about the creation of God um, and how God, you can see God in trees and you can see God in sand and you can see God in all of these different things and um, how she started to connect with her divinity and how to connect in these very natural spaces. And it's been starting to translate into more structured ways. And so it makes me think about the origins of faith and what faith, how faith traditions normally start. And that is that these individuals have very, very spiritual experiences as they seek answers to the questions of their life. 
they're struggling. They want to know they want, they want help with divinity. And then in a very honest, very naturalistic, almost way, they just, they submit themselves to whatever that power is praying for help. And then they start to gain this relationship with divinity. And as I've studied that development of theological institutions, I've seen that in my own daughter. And so while that's been a very interesting journey for me, I think it can be a little bit messy. Um, I think faith is messy. And I think acknowledging that faith is messy helps us be okay with the messy. Um, I know a lot of people that struggle trying to walk these paths of faith. It's been interesting to me as, I, as I'm watching my daughter and um, how much grace I have for myself in walking the messy path and just being okay with the messiness as we strive to continue to improve our relationship with divinity. I just love the way that you, all three of you, have recognized the spiritual nature of your children and, and that, that this learning comes really naturally from the beginnings of their lives. I think about the time, I thought about this when Carolina talked about the car, but one time I was in the car with my three-year-old granddaughter and it was around Easter time and I said, you know, Elena, did you know that all the sadness and all the hardness and all the sickness, all these hard things that happen in this world, Jesus Christ took those upon himself and he, he willingly wanted to feel everything that we feel. And that little girl said from the back seat, she goes, that's love. And I just think, you know, our children, our children uh, in very uh, natural ways uh, connect to faith. Like Kim says, her daughter doesn't really like the, you know, the, uh, the rituals. I personally grew up uh, standing in front of a, what they call a Japanese butsudan, which is a um, kind of an ornate, uh, uh, ornate structure. And inside uh, are some really beautiful gold and red pictures. And, and there was always um, incense burning on the outside, uh, always burning up and up. And, and I just knew that my people were people of faith, that they weren't just relying on man, that they were relying on something higher than themselves. It was just a natural thing. I just have to share one other quick story, just the, the topic on prayer. Just thinking about that makes me think of my little 16-month-old son. We, you know, we're, we, we pray multiple times a day at our house, and it's not ever something that we've sat down and taught our little kids, okay, now this is what you do. You fold your arms, you close your eyes, you bow your head. But he caught on um, and a couple of months ago started clasping his hands together in front of his face. And anytime someone says the word prayer, he like immediately clasps his hands. And this isn't the way that we pray. We usually fold our arms, you know, that's how our family does it. But he clasps his hands and then he'll go up to each person, like with his hands in front of his face, like, look at, this is what you're supposed to be doing with this class. It is the cutest thing. And now it's like, he'll clasp his hands randomly. And I'm like, oh, he wants to say a prayer, everybody. Okay, let's drop what we're doing. We're going to say a prayer. Um, kind of honoring his request, you know, it's just, I think it's adorable. And it just speaks to that, how naturally when we're just living our life, living our faith, we're, we're kind of passing that down to our kids. 
I find that interesting how kids pick that up. My, the daughter that's kind of avoidant of ritualistic prayers or ritualistic. I don't say that in a negative light, just a very traditional, I guess is another word to use. And I must be studying a lot of Eastern religions a lot lately because she's starting to bow down with her hands and like prostrating herself on the ground, like almost like a, um, either an Islamic or an Eastern tradition prayer where they're on mats. And I have found it, she's wanted to engage in prayer when she's able to do that. And it's been very interesting to me how children use their body. And I think it's a reflection on adults, like how we use our body to engage in religious or spiritual practices and how they really become part of who we are. It's interesting. It's very interesting um, how we as humans just engage in this process of faith, whether we were born into a faith a man, it sounds like you were born into a faith with a lot of history of faith in the family. Um, and that's, it's one of those things that another question we got, it kind of brings me to this question. And it was posed by Angela and Angela says, what does it really mean to have a crisis of faith? You know, as people of faith, it is, it is not abnormal to have faith in our family history. I think it's the majority of humans, as we discussed in episode one, have some sort of faith tradition, um, whether that's a religion or a, a tribal faith or just an agnostic faith. Like it's not abnormal for humans to believe in some form of deity above ourselves. And so one of the things is, or one of the questions that Angela asks is, what does it mean to have a crisis of faith? And doesn't the essence of faith require some lack of certainty? Um, does anyone want to cover that? Well, I think that the word crisis is interesting. I think that it's very, very normal for believers to have like doubts or to have questions that they desperately need answers to. A crisis, I think, comes about when yearning and that desire for further understanding and knowledge just isn't quite satiated and or there's something that happens personally in their lives that that really challenges the axiom that God is good and merciful. So there's just this incongruency there that, that seems to just grow and grow and grow. And so there becomes like a chasm between um, the once believer and, you know, the higher power. And so there's a feeling of, you know, um, of neglect, of loneliness, of desperation, you know, that might come. And so I think that that might be what, what a crisis of faith is where there's this, this gap, like this, it seems incrossable, you know, that you just really can't reach. And so, um, the, the, the way to fill in that void or that loneliness or that pain, um, is, you know, to really end the belief to say, you know, well, that must've been wrong. The pain that I'm feeling is just too great. So the, you know, the, the way to resolve it is, is by letting go, like that, that is the best decision. Um, and I know that there are so many reasons why um, people may feel that that's their best decision, you know, um, just to end the, the horrible, horrible feelings going inside of them, or, or maybe it's in, in the house of faith or, or, you know, maybe the faith tradition is, you know, the root cause of a lot of that pain and that incongruence. Um, everyone is on their own journey on this earth. Um, 
So I think that, you know, the search and the quest for truth and understanding and, and connection, I think is embedded in us as human beings. So I don't, I personally don't think that that will ever really truly go away. I think that you can search for answers in different places. Um, but, but the, that yearning for knowledge and understanding and, um, and like meaning in life, it's really about meaning in life. I think that that is a part of what it means to be human, that we were born with, um, with this hole that needs to be filled <laughs> by, by um, this meaning and this higher understanding. And I, I do think that, that deity and that God is the one thing that can fill that. Um, now people are going to be searching for it in different places and, and finding, you know, that wholeness in different places. And I think that that's everyone's personal journey to walk through, you know, um, it can be uncomfortable at times, but I do think it's worth the search. It's worth that, that journey, you know, and I think that it doesn't need to be, you don't need to quit the journey altogether. I think that you need to still walk that journey and just understand you're going to have highs and lows. So. Yeah, I loved how non-judgmental you address this. I think depending on the faith tradition, um, there's a tendency to want to know what you know, what you know. Um, and I know, I know, <laughs> no, I believe, I hope, I think, um, I'm, I think the older I get, the more, the more I struggle with the idea of, I know, the more I know, I truly don't know. And I think that is the nature of God. In our third conversation with Melissa, I had a conversation with her about, she's a woman of faith, has her doctorate in the studies of religion. Like she knows a lot of things, but it was interesting to me that she said she looked at this picture of the universe and simultaneously, she both knew God more and knew God less because if God was able to create that, then she didn't truly know who God was because who God was, wasn't like her, there was like a limitation on if I'm saying this correctly, Melissa, I hope I'm um, bringing this in, but it was interesting to me just, just how much you can believe while still having those trials of faith. I was talking with my husband during a personal trial of faith. And, you know, I remember being really frustrated at a lot of different things with my own faith community. And my husband looked at me and he goes, Kim, it's a lot easier to judge harshly those that are closest to you. He goes, it happens in our own family units. It happens with your, your partners. It happens with your children. Those that you know best, it's easier to judge. And those who are at arm's length, it's easier to see the goodness in. And I, I understand that there's often a, can be a lot of trauma related to faith communities or religions um, or rituals. And so I, I am no way downplay what those are. And I'm not saying continue engaging in those and continue putting yourself in positions that could be traumatizing. But I do like this idea of continuing to engage in the tension of what that is. I'm sitting in that space of, you know, God is loving, but yet this doesn't make sense. Seems to be a position of growth. And that's where growth comes from. That's when that seed is buried and split open to where faith can truly grow is in that tension. So I loved how that was addressed. Yeah, that makes me think of um, a book that I read last year called Faith is Not Blind. I highly recommend it. It's um, so interesting. The, the concept is discussed there about how there is simple faith 
And we, you know, we grow up with just a simple belief in what we've been taught or what our parents have shared with us. But then we invariably reach a point in our life where that faith is challenged. And we, that's complexity. And you, when you hit that wall of complexity, some people will just walk away and be like, nope, can't face this. What? My church believes what? I, what? I can't understand this. And you walk away. But if you walk through that complexity and you, you ask questions and you continue to just study and to research and to, to, to delve into that complexity, then you reach this simplicity on the other side of complexity. That's just, just this beautiful place to be that's even more valuable than staying in simplicity because you've challenged or you've walked through that complexity. Um, and I just, I love that concept. I think it's just fascinating to consider. I really like that idea too, the simplicity, then complexity, then simplicity again. And I feel like that's something that we probably go through several times in our lives. I know very early in my life, um, I had some serious questions about whether following my faith tradition would be, I guess, worth it or important to me in my life. Um, And I feel like I had a really powerful faith experience that led me to stay in my family's faith tradition. Um, But that wasn't the only time that happened in my life. You know, that was 25 years ago. And in the the next 25 years, things happened in my life that made me say, okay, is this still the path I need to be on? Is this still what's right for me? And it has been. And, and I feel thankful for that because I know for some people, it can be hard to find that next simplicity. Um, and recently I was having um, some personal trials and I wanted answers and I felt like the only answer I was getting was to be still. And I felt like that wasn't the answer that I wanted because I wanted to know more about what the future would look like. And all I kept getting was be still, be still. And finally, I had to just hang up some of my questions and decide that, that waiting was the best thing. And as I did that, I think I came into that next simplicity again. And I've had a lot more peace in my heart and in my mind. So I love that. I, I often connect and understand God. And I believe that God is a loving parent and that God connects with us as, as children. And so my, the way I often interpret my relationship with God is through my interpretation with my, or my relationship with my children. And I, I saw Grace's hand up. Kim, do you want to give Oh, sorry, Grace. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Grace. Go for that. No, that's okay. I actually also wanted to touch on that story about you and your daughter. So that's perfect. And Lisa, I just really liked what you said about like honoring the simplicity of it. Um, I feel like I also have gone through multiple faith crises. I would totally define them as a faith crisis. Um, and every time I realize that I need to give myself the grace to step back when I need to step back and then to engage when I need to engage. And for me, that, that is a practice. That's a ritual, like poetically enough of self-preservation of, um, of, of refining myself and reconnecting with deity, with God, how I see them very personally. And when I do need to step back, what I personally focus on is eternal patterns it's like this like meta, this level above scripture in my mind, because it's less uh, linguistic and more symbolic. 
where I see like, again, just like spending time in nature. And that's, this is where I kind of thought about this, Kim, is when you were talking about like living in Alaska and just viewing that as like a spiritual practice. Um, and I noticed like, you can look at the leaves and the patterns in the leaves and how they branch off. And you see that same pattern everywhere. You see that with tree roots, you see that with, with DNA and with human veins and all these things. And for me, that, that gives me this sense of connection that I feel like Carolina, like you were talking about that we need in religion is this to, to fulfill this sense of meaning and seeing eternal patterns, like in the family unit, we see that all throughout nature. We see that all throughout time and history and everything and you can see these patterns everywhere and that connects us that that connects us to each other and ultimately to a sense of god as well and that that can be between you know any any spiritual practice you can see these patterns it's, it's really poetic and powerful when you look for it in scripture as well i love that grace i think that um when you can observe very carefully and intentionally the patterns of creation, it speaks to your soul, you know, in a way that says, well, then there must be a creator. All of these things didn't just spawn from the ethos, like that there was intention and deliberateness and it was masterfully created. And when you witness that, then you look at yourself and you're thinking, I was masterfully created and that person and that person, it binds us all together as a human family. And I think that that feeling of unity is the, the culmination, like the apex of what religion is meant to be is this unification and this kind of harmonious togetherness. And that's what fills our human spirits. Like, I don't know if in our times of, of trouble, or desperation if we can more readily remember the times that we felt that unity and that closeness to divinity um, and that that memory can carry us through the complexity right that we talked about and I think that when we can pause and and really capture the feeling that we're having when we feel that wholeness um, whether we write it down, whether we verbally express it and say, this is what I'm feeling, whether we share it with somebody else, you kind of solidify it in your memory. And then you can call upon it in times of, of, you know, of challenge where, you know, that memory is, is challenged, you know, does God really exist? Does God really care about me? And you remember, yes, yes, because I remember feeling this way. And I remember that time and that time and that time. So truly I will overcome this hardship or this question, you know, I can, I can let it rest for a minute. And I know that the answer will come in whatever timeline it does. Um, but we can, like Lisa said, we can be still and rest from those challenges and just allow them to work through themselves. That even if we're not actively getting answers right in the moment, that um, the universe and our creator is working in our behalf, that those questions will in time be answered and so it gives us that surety and that peace that kind of resiliency to overcome whatever challenges we may face they may challenge you know you just need to keep remembering I feel like that's a really key component and I love how many times it's we've talked about just sitting still and in the Christian tradition that's a fairly common sit still you know wait on God 
And it's, I remember as a child being very, or even just as a young adult being really confused with what do you mean sit still? I've got to, I've got to work. I've got to figure this out. I've got to, I've got to study. I've got to understand there's something that I'm missing. Um, that's why this thing, this isn't making sense to me. And I found that as I have hopefully developed a little bit of wisdom, it's in that stillness that the answers usually come. And if the answers don't come, then at least the peace comes. It's the willingness to say, you know, in Christian terms, not my will, but thy will be done. Sitting in that space of, of tension, that true growth does begin. And it seems to be, that is the answer. So what is, I guess, the question originally um, to go back to it was, what does it mean to have a crisis of faith? Um, and doesn't the essence of faith require some lack of certainty? I think that lack of certainty that is questioned is that space, is the space of stillness. Um, you don't know but you somehow fill it. And there's, there's a component of faith that is a feeling. Um, it's the feeling of the love of a mother and child, um, the love that you feel from, that I feel from divinity. It's a very similar feeling. And it, it's those feelings that some, sometimes don't make sense, um, but just are the way that they are, because that is just the way that it is. The, the feeling of the wind on your face, the feeling of the waves lapping upon your feet, the, the, the noise of the leaves rustling in the trees, like those things can't be explained. They just are, or they can be explained, but the feeling of them is just powerful. I think Grace, you did a really good job at breaking that down to say, if it's not here, bring it here, bring it into you. And I think that truly is what faith is, is it's, there's definitely a, a cerebral portion of faith. There are traditions, there are beliefs, there's rituals, there's community connection, all of these things that are very, very beneficial. In addition to that, there is the heart of faith. And it's when that heart and the head connect that a life of faith can truly be powerful and does influence the family, does influence the community, will and has and will continue to influence policies around the globe in protection of faith, family, and motherhood. But it's through the lives of faith-filled people that that is done, the cerebral as well as the heart coming together. One of the top Googled questions in 2022 is, you know, what does it mean to be God-fearing? And that I think is part of the question of faith and faith trials. You know, you have the God of the Old Testament, you have some gods of war, depending on what theological belief systems you have. So I think it's going to be a little bit different among traditional or different traditions, but I kind of want to cover this um, in connection with this crisis of faith. So are there any thoughts on what does it mean to be God-fearing? I think on the surface, God-fearing denotes a type of humility where, um, where you acknowledge the fact that you don't know it all and that, and that you have a desperate need for God in your life. And so the idea like to fear God, um, my personal interpretation isn't that you need it, you know, like the fear, the fear isn't the traditional sense of the word fear. I think it's more of amazement or awe that you're awestruck by God. And I, I do think that if you were to look at the, you know, the core etymology of the word and, um, you know, and the language that it was first taken from in Hebrew, I, I do think that that is the, the actual um, root of the word is it, it's more aligned with awe that you're awestruck by God. And, and I think that that's very, very appropriate. I think that, you know, when you do look at 
at God as a grand creator of the universe, of our world, of our bodies, of everything that that we see and interact with, um, it, it, it does strike on you. And I think that there has to be a level of respect there um, and something that shouldn't be taken lightly. And so, you know, as we interact with, with God, that there is this kind of um, proper protocol and procedure in a way um, that denotes respect. But the beautiful thing about it is that as we um, have this kind of internal attitude of humility, that this grand creator, God of the universe, God of the earth, um, wants us to come near as a child to a parent. So that is very, very beautiful, you know, that, that we have this, this omnipotent, um, omniscient being that also wants to interact with us as a child would, you know, as a parent, would a child, and that that's pretty amazing. You know, I think that that's beautiful. I, I just, I think it's wonderful that you've been uh, given such a, uh, a uh, beautiful perspective of God and that a lot of that has been just from your uh, <clears throat> internal awareness, but a lot of it also has come from your, your uh, family culture. But I think that People can actually fear God. They can really be afraid of what he'll do to them and afraid of um, they're not getting the blessing that, they, that they're working to, uh, to receive. I, I think <clears throat> uh, for me personally, growing up, I, I had a fear of God. Not just a fear of like what he would do to me, but a fear of not getting what everybody else was receiving. You know, um, not feeling uh, worthy of all these things that were being promised. So um, for me, there, there was a real fear. And, and I think it's good to put that out there as well. There are lots of faith traditions that, that promote fear. Um, yeah. I think God is one of the most weaponized terms in all of humanity and existence. And that's an important thing to acknowledge, Anne, because there's truly fear regarding God. And, and the evil that's been done in the name of religion needs to be acknowledged in conversations of faith. Like there's trauma that's related to this. Um, I like mm -hmm. to see it more as a man made creation and God is good and oh, yeah. it's just kind of messing up. Um, but I was talking with my husband and he, I would label him a very faithful agnostic. He often says, I live as if God exists in fear that he might. Um, and it's, it took me a long time to try to understand what he was saying in that. And the fact that like, I'm trying to do what I feel like I should be doing following these divine counsels, but fear that I may not be enough, that God actually does exist. And where I come from a perspective of the very core of everything who everything I am is that God is loving and that I am a child of God and that they, God has my back. And so that was a very different perspective. Um, but it's one that I've learned to respect and one that I've learned to understand. 
And there's a lot of fear that's related to that. I also, Carol, really appreciate the etymology um, of Hebrew, the etymology of Hebrew. Um, the word fear is yah. And it's the definition is currently is fear, but it also is translated correctly as reference, awesome, or sorry, is yeah, the reference of God, um, awesomeness. One of the very first scriptures or one of the most quoted scriptures on the fear of God is Proverbs 9.10, which states, the fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. And so it seems like there is a need for a reverence of God. Um, and then that, in that reverence of God, in that acknowledgement of what divinity is, that is the beginning of wisdom. Finally, having a fear of who God is and what, what God is capable of, I, I feel like it's standing in the, not to use um, blasphemy terms, but I feel like it's standing in front of this huge wizard that's capable of creating the world and doing all sorts of amazing things that I, as a little child, couldn't comprehend. I imagine there being a little bit of fear in seeing the almighty power of God. But in that comes wisdom. In that comes the stillness. In that comes realizing that while fear and, and trauma has been done in the name of God, that God is good despite that. Um, God helps us. I just had a conversation with Grace last night. But she saw her first picture of the Holocaust last night. Um, and it was a very interesting conversation because she asked me why it happened. And who it happened to. And we had to have the conversations about the Nazis and the Jews. And the, at the very end, she looked at me and she goes, that's scary. I don't want to think about that. And so I just held her. And then a couple of minutes later, she's like, I'm pretty sure God was with them. And it was interesting for me to listen to her say that. because mm -hmm. as someone I that love that. Like, I love that, that perspective of the, of a God who can do everything. Um, you know, you use the word wizard, but of course, you know, just just the capacity to create worlds and to 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 do all these marvelous things. But yet, the perspective of him being with you and and loving you and and being someone who understands and cares so deeply and intimately and and finitely about who you are and what you, um, what, you know, what you want to accomplish. I think that, that that's who God is. He's just so um, indescribable, uh, incomprehensible in, in some respects, but yet just the connection, the connectedness that we can feel with him, um, a personal like love that we feel from him. It's pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah, he's both infinite and intimate. I love that. <clears throat> the contraries that describe yeah. it. I, love that. I wish this conversation was the first thing that popped up in Google when someone Googled what is God fearing? Because it is powerful. <laughs> if people understood that this is what the fear of God meant, I think this world would be a better place. So thank you, women for adding your insight and your wisdom um, because you have truly known the fear of God and have grown through that wisdom. And we have a couple more minutes. Um, are there any other thoughts that have come up that you guys would like to discuss? Any other questions that you may have? I think we may need to talk about the question with increasing religious conflict between sex. How does your faith help you love others that are different from you? Mm -hmm. Thank you for bringing that up, Anne. <clears throat> 
was in week two, we learned about the conflict of the Muslims and the Christians in Nigeria um, with Fatima. And this, this is a big one and it seems to be increasing. Any thoughts? Yeah, I think that throughout history, um, this has been a pattern that, that there is some group that believes that their version of reality or what ought to be how society needs to be structured is rooted in their belief system and belief systems are also oftentimes rooted in, you know, faith traditions. And you'll have people exercising power in unrighteous ways. And I think that um, anytime that that's happening where, where there's physical violence and threat and harm, um, that, that that needs to be a massive red flag that whatever way you're understanding your worldview that it's wrong <laughs> because categorically um, unless you're overtly worshiping a God of war and a God of destruction and a God of violence, I know that, you know, coming from the axiom that, that God is, is good, that if you're exercising your power in a way that is building harm, then you're clearly not, you know, adhering to, you know, a God that is good. And so I think you need to reevaluate like what it is that, what God it is that you're purporting to believe in. And I think that the litmus test needs to um, not just be in physical violence and harm and war, but also, you know, our perceptions of others. And, and you know, if our belief system is, is urging us along a path where we're dehumanizing other people, where other people are less than, then fully, you know, human and worthy of love and respect, then I also think we need to reevaluate our belief system. Um, and so I think that it's very clear cut and I think that it's easy to see um, that, you know, violence is bad and we shouldn't engage in it. You know, violent thinking is also bad and we shouldn't engage in it. Violent rhetoric is also bad and we shouldn't engage in it. Um, that's not to say that we don't have a voice, but we need to understand boundaries very clearly that my beliefs and my boundaries, that, that they're limited. They're not unlimited. I can't just go around and do whatever it is that I think that I have the right to do because other people have those same rights and boundaries. And so I think that um, <clears throat> we, we had a really wonderful discussion um, in past weeks that I recommend any listeners to go back and review in the, where we talk about it in depth. Um, but I think that the idea of religious pluralism is essential that we have here on this planet, that people come from different backgrounds and traditions and belief systems, and that they can literally all live harmoniously together. There is no reason why they can't coexist. Um, the problems start arising when there is an invasive thought pattern that one needs to trump over the other and the other people need to fall in line and, and their free will is kind of usurped in a way. Um, and I think that's where conflict arises, right? So I think that we need to hold ourselves to this kind of standard of, you know, religious diversity as being a healthy, healthy thing that we ought to protect. Um, and then we need to also you know, as followers and as believers that we need to make sure that our religious traditions also, you know, are living in this harmonious way with others. And, um, 
and it's very difficult because in other parts of the world, the violence is so extreme and so horrific that we have no idea. We just, we're living in these peaceful parts of the world where <clears throat> that, that's not a reality to us. But in many parts of the world, that is a reality. And like you said, Kim, women and children carry the, the most trauma, I think, the most violence. Um, and it needn't be that way. And I think that, um, I don't know, I don't know how it will end <laughs> um, because some differences seem so irresolvable. Um, but there are people actively working to, you know, mend these, this kind of brokenness in our human family. And it's worth all of our efforts, worth all of our prayers. It's worth all of our energy and, and faith, you know, that, that these things can be resolved in time somehow. Carol, I appreciate those comments. I think that is a perfect way to wrap up this episode. Um, faith is powerful. Prayer is powerful. And although at times it may seem insurmountable and unhealable, it is, and it is worth our time. It is worth our effort to both heal those, those divides within ourselves, within our families, and definitely within our communities as we seek to become more faith-filled and seek to live our faith out in a more real way day to day. So women, we really appreciate you joining us. And panelists, I love you women. And I'm so grateful for your, uh, your faith in my life. I know it's been a Often been as you guys have been sentinels to me in many different ways and in many different situations. So I appreciate you taking the time to get on and to share your thoughts with our listeners. Please feel free to join us next week. Um, also feel free to jump on and join us on any of the social media platforms, Big Ocean Women, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So if you have any other questions, please feel free to reach out. If anything that we said um, caused any more questions, we as moderators will be watching our social media platforms and would love to have additional engaging conversations. So love you ladies and you guys have a wonderful day. We'll see you guys next week. You have been listening to Currents, a podcast by Big Ocean Women. You can find us on the internet at bigoceanwomen.org, on Instagram, and on Facebook. We are each one powerful drop in a big ocean of change. Join us in one of our local chapters, WAVES, or Women Achieving Vast Empowerment. Our music is First Rain by Ian Post. Editing and production is by Fifth East Productions. Please join us again next week for in-depth discussion about interesting ideas and about people who are trying to make a difference in their communities. <laughs>